we talk about difference traditionally, I think people contract or often they contract, right? We need to work together across difference. That means we need to compromise or I need to see your point of view or you need to learn about me. But this feels kind of like the exact opposite of it. It's like a heart expansion piece around I'm generous because the opportunity is there and I'm willing to step into it. Um, and in that way, you get to know me, you get to know my culture, it connects us. And so it just, I just, I'm thinking out loud here, but it feels like a key piece actually of working in equity and difference is generosity, although you can't demand it. Welcome back to Find the Outside. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Reinhardt. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about generosity. Now, generosity is one of the core principles of the outside. And when we first kicked it off, we talked about this as something that we really wanted to embody in terms of how we turned up in our work and in our lives. And with each other, we had this kind of like image of the the overflowing cup of generosity mm. when we talked about this years, I mean, 18 months ago or so now. Um, and then uh, we were walking down the street in Zurich over the summer and I think I was dressed in my running kit and you weren't because your bags had been delayed or something right that's right 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 yeah and we were in Geneva just to be fair just so oh Geneva thank you not Zurich so then we were walking along the road there and just kind of debriefing the day and uh, I was throwing some ideas to you around what I'd been seeing in the room around generosity and you were like, we've got to do a podcast on that. And then you texted Jen and kind of off we went. So what were you hearing that sparked this podcast, Juice? So I think I was I was hearing a, a couple of different things. One is that the generosity that we had originally envisioned and the principles for our company, right? So when you talk about like, we talked about this is what we wanted. This was actually a principle that our company was based on, right? This idea that we would be generous. Anyone we worked with would feel generous, that our subcontractors would feel like there was generosity in the system. Um, I felt like it was a moment as you were noticing what people were doing related to this specific project. I felt like just like this moment of, oh, this is us living that principle, right? I think that everyone involved not only feels good about the work, but feels like they're contributing in that generous way right? That just feels good to your heart, right? Like, yes, we do good work, but like we've actually moved beyond only just doing good work to actually bringing some spirit of generosity into the, into every level of this work, because that's what you were talking about. You're talking about how good we were feeling um, about uh, what was happening and what we could contribute and wanting to give even more in, right? From a full kind of open, spacious place. Um, the sense that our contractors, some of whom are if we're just being blunt or getting paid more than they imagine they would be paid for this particular project or for work in general, right? We were talking about how the client is showing up so beautifully and generously, right? With their time and with their smarts and, it, and, and also that the people that are working with the core team, they were doing things like bringing baklava to the training. You know, there's just like, <laughs> everyone was just like contributing, not only to the work at hand, but to the spirit of the work. And so I just had this moment as we were walking down the street uh, thinking, oh, let's notice this moment where we're actually living one of our principles because you don't often get that, right? Like principles are often aspirational. They're conversations you want to be in. They're what places you want to get to. And it just felt worth noticing that we were actually living that particular principle in our work right now. Hmm. Um, 
just to say, it's the school holidays here, and my kids are home hmm. playing hide playing hide and seek in my house. <laughs> so if anybody hears the pitter patter of feet or the general screaming in the background, I'm I'm in the cupboard and I've wrapped my door with like a duvet, which we don't use in the winter, in the summer. Sorry. So I think I'm pretty well insulated, but you never know, dear listener. You might get uh you, you might get the melodious sound of my children coming in. Well, because um, they're going to say things like, "Oh, you're just talking to Tuesday." Like, doesn't your yeah. son? Think- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you're not considered a professional call anymore, Tuesday. Like you're just like, oh, oh, you're just hanging out with Tuesday. I can like jump all over you and harass you about whatever it is I particularly want. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hey, look, you know what? I was thinking about this generosity thing. I mm. was, um, I was thinking, uh, how much uh, in the art of hosting work that really so much of this was born out of for me. I used to love this part of it. You know, like mm. this, like that the people would turn up with songs, poetry, food, dance, expressions, language from their particular cultures and from their particular context, you know. And it was one of the kind of like really beautiful generative things about that field of work, mm. you know. And, um, and, and, and I think I've always felt that like moving into these kind of like large systems change efforts or these large, massive institutional shifts that can lead to big changes across global systems, really, you know, that we would end up losing some of that softness uh-huh. in the face in the face of getting the work done. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think what I think what's blowing me away, and I, as I kind of transport myself back to walking down the road in Geneva, and we'd. I think we've just been sitting um, on this on this kind of wall area, looking over the lake, haven't we? And and uh, is this sense of like, oh, we don't have to, we don't have to have one or the other, right? You know, we right. don't have to have the ability to get hard results, tackle complex, really tough issues, and at the same time, we don't have to lose that sense of softness of like, you know, I was just thinking of some of the work we're doing in the US, you know, long-term work, major major system, and, you know, a group turning up with an incredible collage they had built of all of the work that we had done so far. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like such a generous artistic gift. It was quite a vulnerable thing to do mm, where they're mm. taken, they're taken pictures and photos and pieces of documentation and keywords. And they'd made these beautiful artistic collages, you know, yeah. and you could feel the kind of tremblingness of it because mm-hmm. it's a, it's quite a thing to do to bring that kind of sensitivity and creativity into your professional context. That's right. That's right. You know, it takes a lot of courage, but it also lends enormous humanity into the work, right? And so and so things like something that really struck me, this sense of generosity that was coming from the participants. And and um you know, and the same thing, you know, turning up with baklava or you know, when we were in Switzerland the last time in March, it was around Easter, and in Switzerland they have this mm. tradition of like a massive chocolate egg right? Isn't it? And then you like smash it on the top and it t- breaks into all kinds of different pieces. And then someone had brought a massive chocolate egg along, you know? Yeah. And, and that, so that, that, yeah, yeah. So there's just this sense of like, not only are we dealing with really tough issues, we're, we're dealing with life and death on the ground in communities 
and countries among peoples all over the world with these large systems that we're working with. Yet at the same time, there's this incredible vulnerability, this incredible mm-hmm. generosity, this incredible kindness, humanity that is turning up in the room at the same time as this grit and determination and bluntly professionalism, mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. face of the work that needs to get done. And I love it that we're not having to pick one or the other. And I think, you know, main part of what I struggled with in the art of hosting world was I felt like it swung too far one way. And I think one of my fears coming into this work was we'd swing too far the other. Mm. But uh, so I think the gratitude I felt in Geneva was this sense of like, we can do both. We can do both, you know? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I just wrote down a couple of notes. One is that I have a question of uh, whether generosity, I think people are waiting for the opportunity to be generous. They want Mm. the... They want the permission to be generous. It feels like something that is so fundamental to cultural sharing and working across difference, this willingness to be generous with each other um, mm. and to, to bring a part of you. So William bringing that egg or um, bringing the baklava or, you know, one of the things we did at the opening circle was we asked, you know, how would you say hello to your friends? And there was generosity and like sharing language. And it, mm. you know, it just occurs to me that that is one of the things that as soon as you open the possibility of it, people are hungry for it. They're hungry to share who they are and to be generous in that way. Um, and it it really does go a long way. It's like kind of like the basic way of sharing culture, right? So I'm generous in this way, you know, because this is what I have to bring from my gifts and my people. Um, and so I just, I just, I just like, as you were talking, I was like, right, people are looking for the opportunity. And also, this is a key way of working across difference that I think when we talk about difference traditionally, I think people contract or often they contract, right? We need to work together across difference. That means we need to compromise or I need to see your point of view or you need to learn about me. But this feels kind of like the exact opposite of it. It's like a heart expansion piece around I'm generous because the opportunity is there and I'm willing to step into it. Um, and in that way, you get to know me, you get to know, because often the generosity is based in culture, right? You get to know my culture, it connects us. And so it just, I just, I'm thinking out loud here, but it feels like a key piece actually of working in equity and difference is generosity, although you can't demand it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, like things things like um, sometimes cultural exchanges or feel quite forced, people contrived they feel yeah they feel really contrived and like oh we're gonna learn about your culture right Mm. and instead of kind of creating the conditions by which people uh spontaneously wanted to share right um and i think this organization is quite good at that because they're a global organization right they're used at working cross-culturally but it was really beautiful to be in the spirit of it and see it actually grow across you know meeting in february the meeting in april the meeting in july like you saw that spirit of generosity grow between to the to the point when we did the checkout circle and we got the evaluations back that one of the biggest problems identified going forward was after this nine sorry seven months or whatever it is of work together this group said your biggest problem is that we all want to keep coming back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but, and it's then, so then there becomes this question of like how do you work with that once you generate this generosity and this relationship among people you, you know but the work itself is time bound. I don't know. But we don't have to answer that right now. But or maybe we do go. I don't know that. Well, I don't know. I mean, but I, I, I don't know how we work with it. But I, I can feel the responsibility of having started something with a group of people yeah. that they want to continue. 
And like, yeah. just to say, no, thank you. The project's done is, is completely insufficient. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and I know that, I know that the relationships again will have ripples and all those pieces, but I think we're actively thinking about, oh, right. We actually do have a nine month project, right? Like that's the reality as well. And so how do we actually, um, nurture this, uh, this lovely generosity and trust that's been placed in this particular work. And so I think that for me feels like actively, uh, actively thinking about what the next phase of this work is when you can't mm. just continue to do a large scale project at, at, you know, forever, you can't, you know, like we can't do this forever. So what is it? How will we help support these conditions? Right. So the other thing I've been, I've got so many little things popping through my head. I don't know if I'll catch them all, but like one of the things that um, uh, just strikes me here choose is that the, the kind of generosity that we're talking about, which is this like sharing part of yourself, mm-hmm. turning up with gifts. I just want to make, I just want to make a direct correlation to the work and the atmosphere mm. that creates that the work happens within, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So when that, when that kind of like humanity begins to take place, mm-hmm. well, I think what we see is a far more generative kind of like conversation among the people who are working on the issues. Mm-hmm. And, and by generative, I mean, it becomes less about competing for your idea to be the best. Right. It becomes less about creating space for people to download and drop on each other. There's something about that generosity that invites in people's potential to actually become more than the sum of than just their individual parts i mean and you just i mean i'm just saying you just came off a call before we did this podcast with two of our team members you know mm-hmm. and you were like we work with brilliant people tim like <laughs> our team our our subcontractors yeah. you know but i but i genuinely think that's a lot to do with the relationship building we just do within our team like mm-hmm. both of those both of those people you know over the years and over the span of this work you know, are becoming friends. There's there's a level of like sh- sharing or a generosity that's happened in terms of opening up to each other. Mm-hmm. That means by the top, but when you're into the work itself, um, it becomes if infinitely more efficient. Yeah, infinitely more able to focus and get practical. You know, um, when it's com- when that quality of depth and friendship is combined with a really strong professionality i think you get a really really potent mix you know mm-hmm. and i think you probably i think you probably i think you probably just experienced that 15 minutes ago bud before you came on the call you know in our own team because we do a lot of work on that in our team don't we you know we do we do it's um i just wrote down appreciation and generosity like what is the, I actually wonder what is the role of appreciating that actually is one of those conditions that support generosity Right. So just like um, uh, the expression of appreciation, I wonder how that actually is. If we think about creating conditions for generosity, it feels like expressing appreciation is part of it. Right. So not only I think did I tell you our team was brilliant, but before I got off the phone with them, I said, I'm so lucky to work with such brilliant people. Right. Which mm. absolutely gives us all permission to be more generous. Right. And I was, I was, because I was thinking about this with the work too, about how many people on that core team express deep appreciation to us. Right. I'm assuming they expressed it to each other. I I know I worked on and you worked on expressing it back to them. Like there's something mm. about appreciation and generosity too. Um, mm. and and part of and let me tell you the link I was making, that call you just talked about. Like I hope, I hope that I help our team be generous and appreciative by appreciating them. But I was also wondering about the role of generosity and uh, power and privilege. And I wanted to ask mm. you very specifically because sometimes I find that those in power are less appreciative. Right. And have less uh, 
generosity. I know that that's a huge blanket terrible statement I just made, but I just I want to I want to talk about it. Like is that actually true? Maybe it's not at all. Like you would think the more kind of power and privilege you have, the more generous you would be, the more appreciative you would be. Um but I'm not sure that's always the case. So I I just made a statement that said it's not the case. I'm not sure I believe that, but I want us to talk about it a little bit, especially with your own thinking around the role of power and privilege. Um, and I, I would say in this project, I'm not necessarily seeing that connection. I think our squad that has power and privilege are pretty appreciative and pretty generous. Um, but I, I'd love to hear more about what you think about that connection. I think a lot about it, hmm. um, especially with what's going on in England right now, you mm-hmm. know, with, you know, the election of the new prime minister there and another Whew. British, another British public school boy put mm-hmm. into a major position of power who feels uh, anyway. So, um, uh, uh, I feel like there's a connection between empathy and generosity. Mm. Mm. And and so our capacity to empathize, I think, is connected to our capacity to be generous, you know, to give, to share, to, mm-hmm. you know, because, yeah, I think there's a connection between those two things. Mm. And, you know, what I know from my own, what I know from my own life and my own upbringing, and then the conversations I've had with now many other people about what it's like to be raised within families that have significant wealth and privilege mm, mm-hmm. is that a, a lot of the circumstances of wealth and privilege um, uh, lead towards having a significant empathy deficit. Oh, of, right. A significant yeah. uh, lack of ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand that, you know, or in somebody else's experience or life. And I think a lot of the experience of those who are raised uh, with significant privilege or wealth uh, is quite quite protected. It can be quite isolated Mm. from the experiences of others. So that's one piece of it. But actually, I think um, many, at least my my experience of being raised within relative wealth and privilege is uh, is that... uh, uh, like right at the root of that experience was one of abandonment and trauma that was di- that was like directly associated with my privilege, right? And so, mm. and so, mm. what happened as a result of that was that not only did the nature of my upbringing mean that I often wasn't exposed to a lot of what was happening in the world, so then couldn't generate empathy for it, but actually Mm. as a result of the abandonment and developmental trauma associated with abandonment, um, uh, I shut off my relationship even to myself. Mm. And so, uh, so I think that's a key piece of it. I think many of those, many folks who are raised in positions of great uh, privilege often have the accompanying abandonment that's associated with that, like going away to being sent away to school early, being raised by nannies, largely absent parents or parents who are very focused on careers or lives. So you, so, uh, so what happens within the child is that sense of abandonment and that abandonment is either uh, uh, my parents don't love me. That's why they're not spending time with me. Uh, or, uh, I'm a bad person. That's what my parents, that's why my parents aren't spending time with me or have sent me away. Um, and so both of those things are unacceptable conclusions for a young mind, right? So you, so you begin to start immediately building 
uh, barriers around yourself to protect yourself from those types of conclusions that you're drawing, the kind of pain that that causes. And that results in, in people being raised with a lack of empathy. And again, just to remind you that that was a designed strategy in the UK to raise and build the administrative class of an empire who would be able to act in situations of high intensity, high stress in other cultures so they could make decisions that weren't interfered with by emotions, right? So so this is a, it's a strategy, right? Um, right. Uh, but it's, I think it's permeated many of the ruling classes' approaches to raising kids. So if it's a strategy, Tim, what that, and thank you for sharing that. If it's a strategy that says to me our natural state then is toward more connection, is toward more generosity, is toward more empathy. Just to say, like if we have to strategize to get away from it, right? I'm just, do you, do you follow where I'm going? Yeah. Like we wouldn't need a strategy to decrease empathy if we weren't naturally empathic and naturally connected. Do you see what I mean? Like, why would we have to, if human beings weren't naturally, I'm just, I'm just going with the, again, thinking about our principles. One of the things we said is we think that these are things that we're uncovering that are natural to human beings, right? We're not, we're not inserting generosity into any kind no. of organization or field. It's there. We're trying to uncover or create the conditions by which it can show up, right? And so it just occurs to me as you said that, like, like, oh, right. So if the strategy is to decrease empathy, then that says to me that our natural state is empathy. Right. right. You wouldn't have to strategize away from it. I mean, like divide and conquer. You and I were just, you know, our our peer, yeah. our peer and friend uh, Broner Gallagher just sent both of us an incredible podcast uh, on the mm-hmm. on the troubles uh, in in Ireland. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and like very explicitly talking about the British colonial practice of divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and so, so I would say that um, uh, I would say that the the tendency often of our dominant systems, right, is to div- one is to divide things up because then they feel more manageable, you know. But when there comes a situation, it's often to divide the people up or to divide the circumstance. Mm-hmm. We're just going to mm-hmm. organize everybody into their little silo, you know what I mean? And so, like mm-hmm. the, the the tendency. And I think this is actually born out of the psychology of our ruling classes, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is a direct result to the psychology of our ruling classes. But the tendency is absolutely towards greater fragmentation in terms of the design of our systems and in terms of the design of our dominant problem-solving paradigms in the world right now. You know, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's a direct connection back to how kids are raised in ruling classes. And uh, you know, lis- I was just listening to another podcast this week talking about how um, you know. Chinese parents are now sending their children over to the UK to go get educated in the public school system there, you know, and then mm. the kind of the abandonment that those children are experiencing in relationship to their parents. So, right. So, so, so I think that, I think, I think there is that innate ability choose. I mean, I mm-hmm. believe that that's my experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think many of the systems we're engaging with and working with are designed for the opposite of that. They're designed yes. for, yeah. siloed fragmented thinking and and a huge piece of our work is about overcoming that and like this generosity thing that we're talking about is like a really good doorway in it's like a back mm-hmm. door it's like a, it's like a back door to defragmentation isn't it mm-hmm. you know it's like when we actually start gifting to each other and we start relating to each other and being vulnerable to each other suddenly our strategic response changes right, right? And that's exactly right and i think that often 
um, at least in rooms where people are brought together, the thinking is that, oh, when this happens, we can be generous. When that happens, then we can be generous. If we have safety, then we can be, you know, that kind of, there are all these kind of preconditions on when we can be our best selves with each other. And I just um, was struck by uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with this group at all. You know, um, you know, uh, uh, because of the nature of their work, right? Someone walked in, the man who brought baklava, one of the two people who brought baklava, walked back into our room and said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so late. Um, you know, I just, uh, there, there are always protesters on our steps at 10 a.m. on Friday and I had to work with them, right? This is not a man who is unstressed and free and feeling great so he can be generous, right? No. <laughs> right? This no. is a man who just is generous, right? Who just brings that in. So it's almost like uh, we don't have to wait one moment. It doesn't have to be the perfect conditions to start being generous with each other, right? We can actually just start. And that's been another beautiful uh, learning from this group. There, there aren't a lot of preconditions for generosity, right? It's like what people bring. And then, of course, that begets more generosity and that begets more generosity. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking about like if if I were if I were listening to this podcast and I work with groups or I you know try to do uh, if I try to make change, um, often I think, oh, how do I set the table perfectly so that people can have overflowing cups? Or you know, like what what are the even when I say how do we create conditions, right? Like what are the conditions we have to have in place so generous generosity comes up? But if we think about it as something that's that's already there and we just have to uncover, or we don't have to wait for it, we can just start practicing it now. I think it opens a lot more potential. That back door is always open. For example, is that what you said? The back door? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I got, I've got two, two things, uh, and then one last thing I want to get to. One is that, like, what I'm loving here is how subversive generosity is to the mm. dominant to the dominant cultures and structures structures of decision making. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to say, like, how subversive that can be to the to the psychology and mindset many of our senior leaders are in. You know, yeah. and like not not yeah. in a not in a you're doing it wrong way. Mm-hmm. But how generosity can actually invite our senior leaders into working in another way and completely mm-hmm. differently than approaching them like an activist. So I just want right. to point, I just want to point to that. Um, the other thing I want to say, and I just think you are a magician at this, you know, mm. which is like, which is like modeling generosity, mm. you know, like the way, like you have a capacity to turn up with absolute dignity and absolute vulnerability in a room full of people and model something that it invites it from others. You know, you know, just thinking of you recently offering a picture of your children as part of a part of a talking circle that we did. And again, an incredibly vulnerable thing to do in a very, very high stakes conversation. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, but everyone actually just feeling the kindness of it, you know, Mm. so there's there's something about Part of creating the conditions of it isn't telling people to do it. Yeah, it's, the, it's yeah. in the mod. It's in the modeling of it. You know. Um, yeah. Thank go on, you. go on, go. I've got one last point which I want to squeeze in before we end. Okay. But then what, respond right. to that one. Go on. No, I, was, I just want to thank you. Thank you yeah. for seeing that. I think um, you know one of the things I I aspire to is generosity. Right, like it's something I actually try to cultivate. So it's wonderful to be seen in that way um, because it does. It feels like my. 
Um, and certainly not all of my lineage for sure. Like there's lots of rough stuff there, but there does seem to be, I can look back in people in my family and see how they were generous, right? I can think about my father's mother who had people to her house every day, you know, who made two meals a day and anyone who was at the house could eat them. You know, she had, and she had nothing. She's incredibly poor, but that was still the case. And what you could come to her house for was good conversation and, you know, a pretty modest meal, but you could get fed. And so I just think about, uh, my mother's an incredibly generous person with her time. And I kind of look at uh, these women in my life and I feel like, oh, I'm not generous at all, but I try to be. Uh, but I was just thinking about the lineage of generosity. So I just appreciate your noticing that for me. Hmm. Without going too deep into it, that's in pretty stark contrast to a lot of what I was raised with, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm. uh, but that's a conversation for another day. The last thing I want to throw in here is that this principle of generosity, I just want to say that it has in, in the in the particularly in the two really large systems change efforts we're involved in right now in the US and Europe you know it has permeated not just the work right and not just our team but it's actually permeated the contracting mm, right? yes yes right oh it's say more well it's permeated like the toughest piece of it which is the money negotiation you know, the contracting around intellectual property, who owns the outcomes that are being generated as a result of this groundbreaking work. You know, it, uh, so I think about the relationships that we have with the financial decision makers in these organizations. It's incredibly transparent. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we started off very early on thinking we were negotiating, but like, actually, it's like all cards on the table figuring it out together now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's our financial negotiations. Yeah. Right. Which is not to say there is not contractual rigor. There is ridiculous mm -hmm. contractual rigor, you know, which is not to say there isn't proper procurement process. Of course, there is all of that. But the spirit through which that is navigated, the spirit through which the finances are negotiated and the spirit within which wealth is distributed. Right. Because we're giving wealth back into these yeah. initiatives as well mm -hmm. as receiving wealth from it, like direct financial wealth. You know, like it is, uh, I just think it's quite remarkable that, you know, because we were just, so again, we had, a we had a team call today on one of our projects and someone, one of our team members pointed out to, just said, thanks to me for the quality of relationship I've managed mm -hmm. to build around the hand, mm -hmm. around the handling of the finances. So of yeah. course that is within our team, but that's absolutely reflected in the relationship with the client as well. Um, and I think that's something quite remarkable about how, another place which the generosity becomes subversive. And actually you and Jen called me out on it at one point, you know, you were mm. like, you and so-and-so, you guys kind of get into like chest thumping matches around the money, you know? And, that's, <laughs> and I remember being, that's kind of bullshit, Tim. I should probably just get over that. And then, and then started approaching it differently, you know? Oh. And as a, and as a result, it's been really generative in my conversations, mm. you know? And so, um, so I just think there's something in that too, that like generosity can extend into some of the like most transactional spaces. Ah, uh, love it. Love it. Oh, that's so nice. And it's so great to hear. It's yeah. To hear. And you are handling it beautifully. So it's oh, good. Thanks, bud. All right. So songs and poems so i am going for the uh it's called a ballade brazilienne and uh, it's by uh, gael faye and from the de fleurs lp it features a uh, flavia coelho la tête tournant derviche l'alcool assèche un goût âpre en bouche ma langue une lame dans une poche rêche 
Le parquet craque sous nos semelles usées de gosses de riches. On fume sur la corniche dedans, la musique recouvre les causeries. And it's just a wicked piece of music. Mm. You're probably listening. I imagine that it's playing right now. And uh, you're all like, oh my gosh, I have to go onto their Spotify playlist and get hold of that right now. I just can't imagine you wouldn't be because it's so kick-ass. So go onto our podcast playlist, find that and multiple other awesome tunes. Mm. And to you, for a, to you for a poem, my friend. Nice. Wonderful. So I'm going to read today um, a poem called Blessing the Boats by Lucille Clifton. And I picked it because... Um, It feels like it's becoming more common these days uh, to ask people for blessings. You know, I just I was mm. in a group a couple of years ago, and it was it was a a hard hard uh, week of work, and there was a lot of conflict. And at the end, the other facilitator said, "Can you ask everyone to share a blessing with the group uh, before they left?" And it just was like people turned on their generosity. Right? Mm. It was like they rest and they just turned on their generosity. So this is called "Blessing the Boats" by Lucille Clifton. May the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind, then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you and your innocence sail through this to that. I love her. I love her. Mm. Beautiful. Sail from this to that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thank you, Tuesday. Thanks, friend. Okay. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Sign up. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. We're back in action. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. By the way, Tim, do we ever check that email? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jen checks it. Okay, awesome. Great. Yeah, so you yeah, can yeah. totally Total. get us there. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Not, not only that... As we're into season two, you can find the links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we have mentioned during the show in the show notes for this this episode over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. You can find the song we played in today's show and every song we've ever played in previous shows on the playlist we created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlist or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast. This episode was edited and produced by the illustrious Mark Coffin at Soundgood Studio. We worked him out today, didn't we? Uh, we did and indeed. our theme music for Find the Outside the Podcast is by Gary Blakemore. Thank you, Gary. Mm -hmm. Take care, friends. Thank you. Mm -hmm.